In this podcast, Heather Zetterberg, Chair of Lower School Math, speaks with parents about the first grade math curriculum. Anyway, so picking up, thank you, Beth. Um, so picking up, what I wanted to do is to give you an overview of what algebra looks like in starting in first grade. And I'm going to give you an overview, not restricted to just first grade, but looking ahead, first, second, third, and on up. So before I go into the nuts and the bolts of the presentation, let me just walk you through what you have in your hands. First of all, the classroom activities that you were able to use this morning. This entire pack is going home, but I'm also going to be asking um, our communications department to send along a, an electronic version of those games so that you can have multiple copies and print out as you wish. The other thing is that the handouts that I'm giving you will also be part of that, that which gets emailed out to you. So you have that as a backup. Um, so in your pack, you have first a stapled packet, which has four different problems that our students are working on this week. Um, just to give you another hint of a different way that algebra looks and another way that we tap into mathematical reasoning. And then there are some notes in there that I might not necessarily address directly during my presentation, but certainly something that you can reflect upon. The standalone sheet of paper is a two-sided page, which is a National Council of Teachers of Mathematics statement on algebra from kindergarten through 12th grade. So just to contextualize what I'm saying to you, this is just a position statement that the National Organization for Math Instruction has put out. And I thought that might kind of give a good reflection point. Um, so when I was working on pulling this together, one of the things that I kind of got to thinking about is what is it that we think about in terms of algebra? So I asked a lot of people this question over the past two weeks, and I categorized the responses. When I asked what do you think of when you hear the word algebra, this is one collection of responses. And I wish I could say that the words despair and terror actually did not come out of the mouths of people, but it did. Now, I also have to disclose the fact that these were the responses from the people who were 30 and older. However, these were the responses of the students fifth grade and younger. We want to keep that excitement, the joy, the idea of puzzling and thinking alive. And that's why we do a lot of what we do starting in kindergarten and continuing along with great intention moving forward. So let's go take a step back and what we think about algebra, what we know algebra is, and then kind of redefine it when we think about a young person. So we know that algebra is a branch of mathematics which uses symbols, most often letters, in order for us to represent different relationships. And there is actually a father of algebra, dating back to about the year 800. This man who was born in Baghdad really became one of the giant forces in transferring between the use of Roman numerals to the Hindu Arabic system, the decimal, the digits that we are using now, including zero. And it's based upon the work that he did, mostly in dealing with how to calculate inheritance, that we now have what we know of as algebra. And really, when we break down the term algebra, it really means the reunion of broken pieces or the restoration of broken parts. 
So when we think about algebra in that context of putting together broken pieces and finding those missing parts, hopefully now when you think back to some of those experiences from this morning, you're starting to see those connections where we're looking for students to be making those connections, helping guide them along with a lot of principles along the way. <clears throat> so first of all, elementary algebra is not taking middle school and high school algebra and watering it down. It's a very different, distinct approach. And elementary algebra is really about establishing a very solid foundational understanding about relationships and skills that are related to each other so that students are really prepared to naturally transition to those formal studies of algebra. So if we are doing our best and we are doing right by our kids, they're going to be going into the middle school and the high school still with those feelings of excitement and wonderment and joy. Oops. Um, this is a graph that was put out by the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics many years ago. And while it's not truly exact in that I can't equate these bands to real proportions, what's important is that dating back many years ago, we designated algebra as being a discrete strand that needed to be taught. But one thing that I really don't like about this is that really the notion of algebra should be permeating throughout all of these different content strands. So while we do have specific strategies and specific um, approaches that are truly algebraic in nature, you'll see that there is this widespread of algebraic reasoning that we expect our students to engage in and that we support moving forward. So algebra, very naturally in our minds with our experiences, translates and flows quite fluidly through to number, um, operations, uh, calculations, and so forth, but also through geometry. And I'm not just talking about formulas and application of formulas, but really thinking about indirect reasoning, direct reasoning, proportional reasoning as being embedded in that, and then also very naturally in measurement and data analysis types of work. What you have in that stapled packet are a few really important takeaways. There are three pages that encompass the checklist from grades one, two, and three. So your child currently is in grade one, but we know that our students have come to us with varied abilities, varied interests, and varied levels of readiness. And we also know that we get them in first grade for two years in that same class, which is a real luxury because we can really be working on tracking their trajectory as the, children, as the child is moving across the grade level. So I put those out in front of you um, for a few reasons. One of the things that we've learned as, through a, as a part of our math curricular review process this year is that parents are looking for more information. What is it that my child is expected to be able to do? What should I expect of my child? So we're putting this out in front of you to give you an idea. This is simply the math checklist for grades one, two, and three. This is not the be-all, end-all of what our math curriculum is like. The, our math pacing guide that we have developed that we follow is a 23-page document that goes into the nitty-gritty detail. Um, not so fun to be lugging around every day. The, that really is where the planning is housed for our teachers. But in the spirit of trying to be as upfront with you as to what we are going to be expecting of your children, we do expect that those first grade benchmarks will be mastered at least by the end of first grade. But 
look at second grade, look at third grade, because those are skills that we're going to be looking for as we're constantly moving forward. Following the grade three checklist is a sheet that I call beliefs about math. And this sheet has um, eight different points that are beliefs that we in the lower school that carry on through the middle school have about what we feel are really important critical components of math instruction. So I won't go into all of those nitty gritty aspects. I tried to be as specific and um, tune into as many details as I could. But hopefully you'll get the flavor from today's presentation and this morning's experience and join together with those facts that I have on those pages to give you a, a, a clearer impression about what we do and why we do it. But considering that we have just about 12 more minutes, <laughs> I'm going to cruise along. Um, so the most important thing that I want to put out there is that this move towards thinking algebraically and helping guide students to think algebraically is about raising the bar from just regurgitating and recalling an answer to having to be able to think about those relationships between numbers. What happens when I add numbers? What happens when I subtract numbers? How are those related? How are those different? In addition to that, what we want students to be able to do is to explain their thinking. Just coming up with an answer isn't going to satisfy you. Mathematicians need to be able to defend their thinking, show their reasoning, and be able to communicate mathematically. In order to do that, we need our students to be able to explain the thinking and explain the processes that they're using. We also strive to help students make generalizations, see relationships, and be able to apply some of their foundational knowledge to tackle novel situations. For example, in the problem in the activity called 19 plus that you may or may not have had the chance to play this morning, it's very telling when a child, first of all, knows to start with the larger number. So if you have the number 19, you have the number card 4, the most efficient way to solve that problem is to think 19 plus 4. But what we want students to be able to get to is to think about the relationship between 19 and 20. So if I know what 19, in order to find out 19 plus 4, I can use 20 plus 4 and then compensate. Or one of the examples is 26 plus, so still within that same game. If I have 26 plus 5, what relationship do I know that can help facilitate an answer with reasoning and with meaning? So it, again, it's not about being faster. It's about being efficient. It's about being thoughtful. It's about being careful. But it's also about tapping into other strategies that require deeper understanding. We've got the technology to perform calculations. What we want are the problem solvers of tomorrow to be able to reason through when you encounter something and be able to be flexible about it. So the big ideas of early algebra that I'm going to highlight here, there are about eight that I listed in your packet, which is another page in that stapled pack. Um, but really what we want students to have the experience with and exposure to is being able to represent understand and analyze relationships between numbers. And again, I also go into numbers not just being with computation, but when we're talking about geometry as well. We want them to be able to understand and describe patterns, which I have to say across the board, every one of our first, first graders is really solid with. They actually came into first grade very solid with that from their kindergarten experiences. So now the shift becomes more those functional relationships. An example of that is the pattern block tree 
um, activity from this, this morning where we are looking for what is your core of the pattern and how has it grown and we're going to be guiding students from being able to use language to explain that to eventually being able to use numbers and symbols and equations and expressions to explain that. So I really should have taken off the idea of patterns, but when we think about patterns as numerical patterns, now we're talking about functional relationships. And really what is at the core of a lot of these experiences is when our students are playing around with operations and properties. The idea that seven plus four is the same as four plus seven. The idea that I can have four plus four plus two or two plus four plus four. However, I can't have two minus three minus two be the same as three minus two minus two. So that there is not necessarily that commutative nature across the board. Works for addition, works for um, multiplication, but doesn't carry over to subtraction and division. So these are some of those experiences that we are having our children wrestle with. So go ahead, mix those numbers up, subtract those numbers again. Do you come up with the same answer? Why or why not? And really having them sit and wrestle with that. Which gets me to something I'm going to leap ahead. I have a slide on this towards the end of my presentation, but I'm fearing that I might not get there, so I'll bring it up now. Also in your stapled pack is a list of really rich questions that we need to have in the front of our minds as we're asking our children to solve problems. Again, it's not about being able to regurgitate an answer. It's about being able to think really carefully. And one of the best things that we can do as adults is to answer a child's question with another question. It's really frustrating for kids. And if you're, if you're a little kind of... I don't know. I, I have a hard time hiding it. I get really excited when there's that little bit of tension amongst you know, me and that child because I know that that's where the great thinking is happening. Um, but asking those deeper questions, those richer questions where students aren't just answering yes or no or giving you a number, but how did you come up with that? Is there another approach? Is there another way? What would change your answer? Those types of things where we're asking children to be able to think about equivalents in different ways and think about approaches to solving problems in different ways. So I talked very briefly about the quantitative relationships that, um, that we're having kids really wrestle with. And you got to see a model situation where they were using pattern blocks. But also what's really important is that we look at these real life situations. And that's something as part of their natural discovery of things in all things humanities that teachers are really bringing um, a, a child's attention to. <clears throat> Talk very briefly about this, so I'll move along. Um, also in regards to those functional relationships, it requires the student to be able to analyze those those patterns, whether it be the figurative patterns, like in the pattern block activity, or they're looking at number patterns. For example, one, one, two, three, five, eight, and so forth. That many of us as adults might know that as the Fibonacci sequence and where that appears in nature. But students right now are wrestling with, well, wait, what's the number pattern? Is there an end to that pattern? How does that grow? How does that change? Why does that work? How can we represent that visually? Where do we find those things in nature? And while they might or might not be some of the examples that we have true functional relationships, what they are seeing is that there is this relationship between numbers that it's our responsibility to look deeper and look, look into. Um, another example, there were the first part of the packet 
that you have is really a collection of games. But then there are some pages in there that are more pencil and paper tasks. We recognize that that's the comfort level for some of our children. And again, taking a look at something like this, what would the picture look like in picture six? What would the picture look like in picture 10? But having kids be able to explain the relationship, what's constant, the fact that in each one of these there's an open circle. What's changing? In each one of these, there's a closed circle or a black circle that keeps at get, getting added to it. So how can you describe this in a different way? And this example was something that I got to witness earlier this week with a group of first graders. And there were 14 students present at the time, and they came up with 10 different ways to kind of describe this pattern and to see what would happen and to be able to articulate what comes next. Um, that's really where the, the richness of the ideas and the thinking comes in so that a child doesn't have to figure out picture five, then six, then seven, then eight, then nine, then ten, that they can generalize that pattern and move on. So then we get into what most of us think about in the front of our minds as what algebra, algebra is about, and that's the use of the symbols. And I think still, so after 15 years, one thing that amazes me and surprises me is how some students really wrestle with this understanding of balance and equivalence. And that's something that, as a note to myself, we make changes to in our kindergarten program to make sure that we don't get to this place of misunderstanding. Um, come back to this in a second. But the whole notion of equivalence is really fascinating to watch a child develop. So many children come in thinking that this equal sign means that immediately to the right provide an answer. And so oftentimes what will happen is that a child would write 16 in this square. So what does that tell us? That tells us that we need a lot more work on what that equal sign means. And really what it is is that there's this balance point. This equal sign could be translated to has the same value as. But when a child tunes into that equal sign, they have more of a rote response to answering some math questions as opposed to a deeper understanding. And this is a fun thing. This is actually, this problem is something that we look at day one in, kin in first grade, day 40 in first grade, and keep on moving on through to see how are our children answering. And it's really an interesting gauge to see where our students are in their understanding of equivalence. Something fun that you can be doing with your kids along the way, too. Likewise, when we have a situation like this, what we're really getting at is this whole notion of compensation, and we're looking at equivalent. So I could see this a bunch of different ways. 2 plus 7 is 9. So I can be thinking, well, what plus 4 equals 9? And I can kind of tap into that. I can also think, well, in order to make this a 4, I have to take 2 from here. What's going to be left over? Oh, I'm going to have a 5 left over. The majority of our students at the beginning of first grade would automatically put a nine here. And so we spend a little bit of time talking about, well, let's take a look at that. We use Invicta scales where we have a, an actual physical balance where we put a weight of two and a weight of seven on one side and a weight of nine and a weight of four on the other. And they realize, whoa, wait, that doesn't work. There's something wrong here. But two plus seven equals nine. I know that. So it's about looking at it a little bit more differently and a little bit more critically. This is a key critical foundational stepping stone for moving forward with algebraic understanding. So you'll find a lot of this is coming on through, whether it be through a pencil and paper task or with an activity 
like this. So Bowl of Fact was one of the games that your students would have had the opportunity to play. The idea being you roll three dice, one through six, and they have to arrange the, each die in such a way and either add or subtract those numbers together in order to be able to strike out one of the pins. So if I had a four, a two, and a two, I've got a bunch of options. I could say four plus two plus two lets me strike out eight, or I could say four minus two plus two allows me to strike out another option. What is so wonderful is that this year, this is the first year where I didn't have a student say, but wait a minute, the answer can't be on the left-hand side because they're really understanding that sense of equivalence. And there is this fluidity to, oh, it doesn't matter which side it's on. The fact is, is that that just means that one has the same value as this part of the equation. Um, but again, something fun to be playing around with and just for you to be a detective with your child to be able to investigate where they are in this um, development sequence. And then, of course, we get into the idea of inequalities. Now, we have different opportunities for kids to be able to explore greater than, less than. But now this is starting to get into the symbols and the use of the symbols. And this is a little bit uncomfortable for some kids. This symbol mean, looks like it's exactly the same, but it actually means something different depending upon the direction. The less than sign versus the greater than sign. So there's kind of a, a path of development that our kids are working on going to. And of course, introducing the idea of not equal to. Um, one of the fun cartoons that I came across, which happens in real life, the idea that that variable is variable. That just because in one problem, x equaled two, today it might equal three, tomorrow it might equal something else, is really quite telling. So I did have the chance to talk about those rich questions. Please take a look at those questions as you're playing board games, as you're solving real life problems, as you're driving. Be asking those types of questions about how a child came up with the answer. And the hardest thing for me as a parent was to resist the temptation to validate a right answer right away and to kind of shoot down that wrong answer right away. What I learned, and it took a lot of years, I now have kids in college and I, my kids would say I still haven't learned it, is that stopping to ask those deeper questions, why, to have kids dig in deeper and be able to understand things a little bit better and to be able to defend their thinking and extend their reasoning, really is a richer experience for our children. It does take longer. Sometimes it's just like, get the shoes on, you know, the answer's right, let's just move forward. But it's really important if you do have that opportunity, familiarize yourself with a lot of those questions and feel comfortable with silence on their end, asking the questions and waiting for them to be thinking. Um, and I do warn you that there will come a day when this is going to be the situation where you might be thinking, wait a minute, my kid is a little bit beyond where I can recall I ever was. Um, and better yet still, there might come a day when there's just not enough time to call the homework helpline to help your child. Um, but just know that we are working really carefully and with great intent 
to build the foundational skills along the way, to help your child develop that independence, to help your child develop that confidence and the knowledge of where to go looking for solutions to their questions. Foot Podcasts are a production of The Foot School, an independent school for grades K-9 located in New Haven, Connecticut. Visit us online at footschool.org.